1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter podcast with myself, Dan Schneier, and my co-host, Nick Turchin. We're here to break down the New York Giants and give you a look inside the All-22 game film as we look to couple game film with analytics and a touch of the eye test. Today's going to be a little bit of a different podcast. Obviously, last last episode, we wrapped up the NFL draft. Now, we're into the very start of the Giants' OTAs for 2019. And today, we're going to focus on the offensive line, and more specifically, the interior offensive line. Um, Obviously, the offensive line for the Giants has been a big point of discussion for the last God knows how long. I mean, it's been since 2008 where they haven't had an offensive line overall that graded outside of the – or inside the top 20 overall. But I wanted to start today's podcast with an interesting quote that I pulled from Dave Gettleman at the 2018 NFL Combine just months after he took over as general manager. And Gettleman said, well, you know what? You look at when New Orleans was having a great run. Part of it was the Super Bowl win. What did they do? They had two hog molly guards because there isn't a quarterback alive who's going to get in the huddle and say, okay, boys, let him up the middle and I'll deal with it. And this is Gettleman from from the combine last year. He said, you need to be firm in the middle. At the end of the day, it's keeping your quarterback upright and out of the hospital. I mean, there's a bunch of guards that are getting paid. And when you think about it, they're closer to the quarterback. Listen, it's the market. Is the car worth 150000 if someone buys it? I guess it's worth that. You know what I mean? It's no different. And, I, of course, I didn't do a great Boston accent there. I really didn't even try to get a Boston accent going there. But the point is Dave Gettleman – made it clear that he wanted to upgrade the offensive guard position, and he believed in the importance of upgrading the offensive guard position. And no matter what your feelings are on Dave Gettleman, it's undeniable that he came through on this promise. Before Gettleman arrived, John Jerry was a 16-game starter for the Giants in 2017. In 2016, John Jerry, he hasn't been in football since he left the Giants. DJ Fluker was a starter as well. I mean, Fluker, okay, he's decent in the run game. Never healthy, played eight games that season. He wasn't great in pass reduction. We fast forward 15 months, and I'm starting to get excited. I'm starting to get a feeling the Giants have turned one of the roster's biggest weaknesses into one of the roster's biggest strengths. And that is why I wanted to get this podcast going today, where we took a deeper look at the interior offensive line. So today, the goal is to get to the bottom line Can this interior offensive line be special? Can this become a strength of the roster? And, you know, we'll start with the player I think has one of the best chances on the entire roster of taking that, that big leap in 2019. And that second-year offensive guard, Will Hernandez. We've talked a lot about Hernandez's early rookie season issues in pass pro, his evolution. And by the end of 2018, he finished as the number 18 offensive guard in the NFL overall among 55 offensive guards who played 50% of their team's offensive snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. So, Nick... Kevin Zeitler at Giants OTA said he believes Hernandez can be special based on what you've seen. Can that become a reality in
2: year two? Or are we still a little bit of time away from that? Yeah, I think everyone's development calendar is is different, but there, one thing I do think it's consistent across multiple players, in multiple positions is year two, year one to two, this offseason right now for the rookies from 2000, uh, from 2000, basically last year um, for Hernandez. And this is important is, um, Basically, this is the first time that they've had a chance to basically relax almost and kind of kind of assess what's going on. Because if you think about it, the process last year goes from the draft right into basically rookie camp, then right into OTAs. They, they have something new every three to four weeks at least, um, which will obviously include moving moving too um, and, and everything. And, and, he, and Hernandez had a big adjustment coming from UTEP, the, the quality of play of UTEP's opponents. Um, you know, going to the NFL. So he had a huge adjustment year last year and he played very well. But yeah, to your point, I think that this is a big time for him to get stronger and basically get more confident and get, and just get better quality reps at this OTA and this, in this current OTA right now, uh, just as he's as a second year guy, I think you see a big jump from players doing that. And yeah, for him, I think that overall, you know, if you look at his play speed and his recognition, um, in terms of in terms of his sets and pass pro, that's going to get better, I think, at just because he's going to get better reps where he's a solid, as a solidified starter versus coming in. And, you know, I think he knew he was going to play left guard, but he didn't come – no one comes in right on the, as the first team, uh, on the first team. And I think, um, you know, another year with Solder is very important um, just in terms of how they deal with stunts, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I definitely think that he can make that jump, but I think it's more of a – I don't know if it's going to be a massive leap. I think it's just continued – continued projection or continued trajectory uh, that it was on the last five to six games from last year.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting you say that, Nick, because, you know, the massive leap would kind of assume he can get into that Kevin Zeitler range of, you know, borderline elite at the position. I'm not sure he's going to get there. I think he has a good chance to get there. I know, you know, we'll see if that happens right away or if that's kind of more of a long-term thing. But it's interesting that you bring up those last five to six games, Nick, because I did an article on this quote from Kevin Zeitler, about Hernandez and that led me to kind of look back into Hernandez's rookie season and really a lot of what I came across Nick which is awesome to say is your your breakdowns online and you see what you see or what I saw was in the early part of the season Nick there were veteran defensive linemen who were beating him with Quick pass rush moves where they kind of just fooled him. Um, you know, you saw this uh, in in the Atlanta game earlier in the season. I'm, forgot, I'm pretty sure it was Grady Jarrett there on the interior. You saw this uh, in a game earlier than that. I believe it was uh, the Jag- Jaguars interior lineman. I'm forgetting that might have been Malik Jackson. And then you saw the progress. You you broke down the uh, Hernandez's second game against the Eagles in Philadelphia in the second half of the season, and you just saw the the improvement there. It's it's like he kind of He used his early season struggles and built on them. And you saw that over the final six, I would say six to eight games of the season. So for me with Hernandez, he's already made a lot of those strides and cleaning up a lot of the things that were just going to, you know, they were going to bother him during a rookie season because, you know, he's coming from, like you said, UTEP to the NFL. It's a big jump. But I think he's done a lot of the work already there. And I think that now playing next to Solder again for a full season Uh, And just kind of like you said, going through the full OTA process in a different way, because he's not a rookie and he's not learning the playbook is going to help him. So we'll see where that goes, Nick. But obviously, I want to touch on the entire interior offensive line to kind of get a good feel for where this unit can go and can it become a strength? Because again, if the Giants are going to surprise people this year, and I've said this on Twitter, and I'll say it again, I'll say it all season long, if they're going to surprise people and have a winning record, it's going to come down to this unit being the strength of the team. So we're going to look into another player here. Um, and I want to see Nick, if you, what your thoughts are on, cause there's been a lot of discussion on Nate Solder's early season, 2018 struggles. Some people believe that these struggles were tied to playing next to a rookie. Is it possible that Hernandez progression in, 2019 nick will make a difference on soldier's performance
2: yeah and this gets into a topic that we kind of brushed on and i and i kind of hit on when we broke down soldier and i did a big piece on soldier but basically the quick synopsis is soldier likes to jump set and likes to attack uh, rushers pretty quickly where hernandez is a little more passive and likes to kind of basically be patient in his sets and wait to use his hands and wait to see what the defense what the defensive lineman is going to do. Now obviously Hernandez plays on the inside, so he has less of a there's less of a range of what the interior defensive lineman can do. Um, but where that becomes interesting is when you have two different styles, it takes time for their styles to basically gel when you're setting versus defenses that stunt. So if the defensive if a line stunts, one guy can't be doing one thing while the other guy is doing another thing if if we simplify it that much you can envision a big hole or a big gap existing in the line if you do that so that takes a lot of time to kind of gel with 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 your with your partner on that side of the line it literally that that's really the best way for me to say it it's it's not an x's and o's thing it's not a scheme thing it just kind of takes it takes a bit of time it takes a bit of time of communication and it takes a bit of time when Defenses throw more and more things at you. You become more comfortable with the communication that happens right at the point of basically the point of attack. And that's where they got to at this at the second part of of last season where, you know, both equally struggled, I would say, in the earlier part of of last season. Um, And uh, so anyway, so so, yes, it, it definitely can continue to get better. And this is where continuity really helps. Um, when lines evolve and, and grow, is if you can keep the same guys together because then they can build on all those things. And, and the same thing will go with with Halapio having a full season or more time, basically with both guards to both sides of of, of his uh, of his of him. So, so basically, it's going to happen for Jalapio in, the, in, this, in a similar type way, not as not nearly as, as significant as tackle and guard, but still similar. Yeah, and it's interesting you
1: touch on Jalapio there, Nick, because that's where I was going next, and we're going to move to that center position, which is an interesting one for the Giants. And John Jalapio is fully recovered from his season-ending injuries last year. I believe he had a knee and ankle surgery. Um, He's taking first-team snaps at OTAs. Earlier this week, there was a quote that caught my attention, Nick, and I wanted to get your opinion on it. And it was from former all-pro NFL center, Charles Bentley, who remains a big part of the game. He has training camps and he does film study. And he said, Bentley said that if Jalapio had stayed healthy in 2018, he would have finished the season as a consensus top five center in the NFL. He's a big believer in Jalapio. Bentley said that again, if he can stay healthy in 2019, he thinks Jalapio has what it takes making that transition from guard to center in the Giants scheme to be a top five center. So, Nick, Jalapio, we know he brings the size, we know he brings the physicality position, but and he, and again, he's put together some excellent performances for the Giants in the past. Most notably, to me, was his Week 17 performance in the 2017 season. But again, that came at right guard, and it was an unbelievable performance from what I saw. But does what Bentley see in Jalapio at center in the Giants scheme, uh, does that, is, is there a reason for him to get so excited? Let's, let's put it this way, Nick. Are you as excited about Jalapio, or is there a reason to be that excited?
2: Yeah. You know, I went back, um, after hearing Bentley, um, by the way, well, Charles Bentley is awesome. And anyone who has time to totally check out and check out any podcast he's on, he's a very down to earth, very simplistic lineman. When I say simplistic, meaning his whole method basically came from listening to five to 10 years of poor coaching. And he just decided, Hey, listen, I think these methods and this madness is madness and I'm going to change it. And he's created basically his own stance his own thing to put athletes in good athletic positions. Uh, really cool stuff. Uh, so anyway, so when he said that, yeah, I, I kind of thought about that statement too. Just, just watching on Twitter and watching what, what people were commenting on it. Um, I went back and watched the two Jalapio games. Um, you know, I see a lot that I like. I'm not as high as he is. Um, I don't, I think top first of all, I, I didn't watch every center this year. So to say that is a little tough, but I just, I wouldn't, I think that there's still a lot of part of, there's still part of Flopio's game that's in development, which is great because he's still coming over from basically being an outside tackle or an outside lineman to, to moving inside. But um, you know, his upside is, or his, his, his positive things, or he's, he's got good feet. He's got good, basically active feet that work in pretty, pretty good conjunction with his hands. Um, he's got great vision. He sees a lot. I think that's why they moved him the center. Um, his stance and everything about his head work is very, very good to to basically have 180 degrees of vision, which is very, very hard. When you break down linemen, a lot of linemen do not have that. Um, and, you know, I really liked his his ability to be patient, his ability to basically – his his strength and his power is very, very good on the from his upper half higher – or, sorry, just in his upper half, which is kind of similar to Kevin Zeidler and a little similar to Hernandez. They all – all three of those guys are very similar in that they don't – strike very quickly they're not that style of lineman so they're all actually kind of similar um and so where i'm looking for for um for jalapio kind of going forward um is to see if he can kind of keep that footwork going and if he can basically be the biggest issues that i saw were for him were just in 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 his sets versus power bull rushes he he lacks a little bit of strength, a little bit of of, of play strength to to handle some of the bigger all pro uh, DTS that you'll face in this league, especially in the interior part of uh, of this division. Um, so that to me was a little bit of a weakness. I think too he, he lost balance a fair amount of times, um, just in general, kind of coming you know at the end of engagement. So that's kind of something he kind of work on. Um, but in general, I think that he's 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 definitely solid. He's I think he's gonna he will be the center. I don't think that's really a question. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it, way to put it too. He's way stronger than Greco, and he's way stronger than Pulley. Um, you know, like it's not. It's people have said, oh, maybe Pulley could compete. It, it's not close. It is absolutely, positively not close. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking looking for some more tape. And 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 you know, I think that the the seeds are there for him to be there. There's not any glaring issues where where you had like he doesn't have Omame's issue with balance. It's not something like that. It's something that's really kind of nuanced. But it's you know against the push pull move. Yeah, he ended up on the ground. Um, but I think his size and overall his patience and again patience and vision is huge as a center. Um, I, I think I think he's strong there
1: for sure. And you may have not meant this to be the goal, Nick, but you did just get me very excited about Hala, Halapo or Halapio. I really still not not fully sure how he <laughs> wants to be pronounced. I believe that I know Shermer, Pat Shermer, uh, Giants head coach, refers to him as Pio. Um, or Mike Pepeo. So we'll, 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 find that out as it goes. But for now, you know, we can focus on the actual player and you brought us some excellent points there, Nick, that, you know, I wasn't even really fully aware of and that's his vision um, and his, you know, and his ability to kind of play that, you know, 180, 360 role. And I think that, you know, when it comes to Jalapeo and, and what he can do for this team, I don't think he needs to be an all-star top five center in the NFL like Bentley thinks he can be. Obviously, if he is, that really gives the Giants a chance in my opinion to, to compete uh, on a level people don't expect, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, but even if he can just be, like you said, so much stronger at the point of attack than, um, than we saw from Greco and Pulley in the turn, you know, the 2018 season, it's going to make a big difference for this team. Um, but I wanted to move on, Nick, to la- the last player on this interior offense line that we haven't touched on, certainly not the least, the player who I think was the best offseason acquisition and maybe, in my opinion at least, one of the best, if not the best, offseason acquisition in the last three to five years for the Giants. That's how important, I think, adding elite, potentially elite offensive linemen is to the NFL line. And listen, in 2018, Kevin Zeitler was elite. I mean, he may have not made the all-pro team. He may have not made an, a pro Bowl, But he was pro football focused his fifth best offensive guard at either position, left and right guard. I mean, for further con- context, according to PFF, he allowed one pressure in pass production every 63 snaps, the best in the NFL. He had the number one pass blocking grade. Um, you know, he allowed just 11 quarterback pressures. The Giants' right guards combined to allow 39 quarterback pressures. That's 28 plays the Giants get back immediately. For this. I mean, if, you know, if you assume it would carry over, that's, 29, that's 28 extra plays the Giants can make something out of. could be game-changing moments across the board. So for me, Nick, I'm wondering, based on what you've seen, can he be an elite guard with the Giants in 2019 like he was in 2018 right away? So in other words, how different is the Giants scheme from what he thrived in with the Cleveland Browns? And how much of a factor were the players playing around him with the Browns versus who will be playing alongside at center with Jalapeo and then at right tackle with Remmers?
2: Yeah, he's... Uh, he's definitely, if he's not elite, he's basically right the second cut. And I think the other thing to just make the point is that there's so many good right guards in this league. That's the only reason why he would be bumped to the second tier. It's almost like, you know, when you if you start comparing him to, to Scherf down in Washington, yeah, I think Scherf's better, but they're both ridiculous. They're both very, very good. So that's it's a, it's a good it's a good crowd to be on. That's uh it's a good position. So um yeah, for him, um from a scheme perspective, you know, look, there's really not that big of a difference of a lot of what people are running across this league in the NFL. It's just it's not the college game. There's just very, very, very similar things. And in, in, you know, I think in um I would consider uh, I would consider a Zeidler scheme agnostic, uh, meaning he could run gap or zone both very effectively. I think he's maybe a little bit better, a touch better in gap, but not really because the way the Giants run so much inside zone that basically has a ton of gap characteristics in it, especially for the interior offensive linemen. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that's the scheme side is, is, is probably actually going to be almost definitely it's more simple than what Cleveland ran, especially uh, under Kitchens in the back half of that year. Um, the, the 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 if if he, as he gets better and as he if he can get to elite level, I think uh, he's, we'll bring up the point that we brought up before, where he has to get used to playing with new teammates, and that's where you're definitely gonna have hiccups, quote unquote. You know, to start off, it's who knows what they'll be, but it's just one of those things that doesn't seamlessly happen, happen, especially with Rimmers just learning or just coming in uh, at at right tackle. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the issue that or the quote unquote issues that you'll see with him will be communication and stunts um, will be, you know, just dealing with all the tricks that the line gives, even running a simplistic thing like inside zone. You know, the hard thing is, not isn't executing or isn't responding to what the defensive line does to you. It's just doing it very, very quickly. You need more and more and more reps to, to increase your play speed. So I think that's kind of the, the main issue that would hold him back, quote unquote, right for this year. Um, and you know, from a stylistic standpoint, like we said, you know, Jalapio is similar to he um, in terms of his pass sets or where or the way he uses his hands. So I don't see any issues there. Um, and I guess Remmers is actually kind of similar in that sense. Um, yeah, no, I I don't think my my only thing with Zeidler was you know the way he he loves to win um, a fist fight in a phone booth and he's incredibly powerful he's the most powerful guy in the offensive line of doing that the issue for that he has is occasionally and it rarely happens to be honest is speed you know if 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 a if a speedy looper can he can can he get that guy you know at that right spot in a, in a vertical set yeah probably not as well as 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 a tackle but again you're talking about you're you're really splitting hairs there. Um, So it's 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 something that you know if they continue doing the things that they're doing in terms of of an offense, he'll be completely fine. And it's interesting you mentioned Remmers too because we're going to touch on him
1: in a second, Nick. But I do want to kind of set the stage here before we say because the way I see it, Nick, if this interior offensive line isn't back to strength, and listen, we just went over it, and it sounds like you're as excited about this interior offensive line as I am, if not maybe a little less, but still. I mean, we have a guy who's likely to be a top five, top ten at worst offensive guard we have another garden hernandez and that's insightler like we have another garden hernandez the giants who you know was top 18 last year probably is going to take a step forward and then you know maybe howpe is not going to be is not going to be a top 5 center like like charles bentley seems to predict that he will be but even if he's in that top 10 range you're seeing a strong improvement there so you know if that interior line is in fact a strength i just think the tackles will kind of have to just hold their own so nick i just kind of want to get your brief Expectations on Remmers at the right tackle position, and you know before we dive into that, Nick, or I'm sorry, and then we'll dive into Solder, but let's first touch
2: on Remmers real quick. Yeah, you know Remmers is a he's he's I think he's 30 right now, so he's a he's a pretty he's been around the league since 2012. Um, you know, he's been part of, uh, he's been in Carolina. Um, so you're going to have, uh, so the general manager obviously knows him pretty well there. And, and obviously he was with the Vikings with uh, Tony Sperano as the yeah. offensive line coach under Shermer, So has, you know, has, has to understand Shermer knows what he's getting with that. And that's a, that's a big, it's a big reason why they signed him. Um, you know, at this stage in his career, I really, I like Remmers, but you have to understand his limitations because he certainly has them. Um, he, as an athlete, I think you got to throw him. Somewhere around a three to a four out of seven, so he's, he's only adequate to solid right now. Uh, you know his the his he's his overall play is not going to wow anyone. Uh, he's definitely I would kind of just throw most of his upside as adequate to solid. His the, I think what is nice is that his downside is. Is very little. I didn't see many opportunities that where he got blown out um, in, in his 2018 tape where he was actually playing guard and basically in, the, in a kind of miscast as a guard just because he doesn't really use his hands that well and his functional strength at the early part of the attack is not really a strength. So I didn't, it was a tough position for him to bump into, I think. Um, he has the positional versatility because he's done it, but I think he's absolutely a tackle. Um, you know, I think that uh, his whole thing, he likes to jump set, which is kind of similar to solder. So he likes to attack guys, um, but he likes to do so in spacing. And he, he does a pretty good job of covering up if he gets engaged. And if he, and if he gets his fit right, his feet move pretty well there. So, you know, I like I like the overall consistency. I just don't think that you're going to – you don't have an answer for two to three years with him. Um, you have kind of – Stopgap. He, yeah, he, he's a stopgap. He's a stopgap. And that's okay. That's right. okay. Um, and, and it, it is – it, it kind of is what it is. I, we'll get into the stylistic where I'm, I am surprised that they went this route. Um, Just because of the quarterback that's in place. Um, But uh, overall, you know, a good signing and a good signing for depth totally and a good signing where, you know, um, for the other tackles, I didn't love any of the other tackles to make a big signing splash this 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 go around. Uh, so I, I do like the signing, but I do I don't think it's going to be more than a one to two year type thing. Yeah, and I think you
1: know we touched on this in the last podcast, Nick. But I think the Giants kind of got a little bit snake bitten by how the how Bobby, you know, how the end of that third round and the compensatory picks came off the board with both Bobby Evans and Yannick Juice coming off the boards with the Patriots and the Rams, or I'm sorry, the Rams with Evans and the Patriots with So I think the Giants were honestly targeting. You heard Dave Gettleman after the draft even say specifically like we thought all the value came off the board then. Um, And then obviously they went on to pick Julian Love with their, with their next pick It was only like, you know, I believe between five and 10 picks after those two came off the board. So, you know, that, I think that kind of threw a wrench in their long-term plan, but I do think Remmers can be that stopgap you talk about Nick. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, which is interesting to me, is that, you know, Remmers is still recovering from back surgery. Now you talked about how Zeitler, you know, there could be a little bit of a, a learning curve or just kind of a getting used to curve, I guess, for playing alongside new teammates. So if Remmers is out until training camp and maybe even into training camp, a little bit of the camp, um, do you think that, and, and the same goes for Nate Soldier, who's not expected back until training camp. Uh, he underwent a minor ankle surgery. Do you think that that could kind of, so, and I'll ask you, you know, I'll focus actually on the right side here, Nick, because I do think that things will be fine on that left side with Hernandez and Soldier, just given how many games they've played together already. But on that right side, you know, with uh, two newcomers on that right side, do you think that, we'll see a similar type – you know, because if you look at the right side of the Giants' offensive line in 2018, Nick, it really improved as time went by. Obviously, they changed out starters, and that played a key role. But do you think that in this situation with two newcomers, we could see a slow start on that right side from the Giants?
2: Yeah, probably. And I think that what you'll see is the Giants are a little bit better positioned to to combat that because um, if you you rewatch the Giants' offensive tape, which not everyone's going to want to do, but I basically had to do – you know the back half of the season, they just ran so many nakeds and so many bootlegs. I mean, it, to the right side, they have to they have to move. They had to move the pocket, and they did. And they're and they were much more. E Manning was much more used to doing that um, by the second half of the season. So that's a big deal, I think, because in the first half that didn't really right. happen as much. And they, when they when they're when they're throwing Eli in, in the gun and in three and five step drops, yeah, Chad Wheeler was getting destroyed. And and or Omami or whoever the hell or to be honest who was on that side it was a, it was a tough go so they're definitely in a better position to combat the weakness that may be there um you know we'll see and but yeah you bring up a good point it's it's going to be harder if if Remers isn't ready to go plus you know the health as- the health aspect of and I'm not a doctor in, in terms of what what how his back issue is and how he's going to be able to go um you know how hard he's going to be able to go initially uh yeah that that's going to be a question as well. Yeah, and you know, there are some people
1: who think, Nick, that Chad Wheeler um, will compete with Remmers for that starting job. I think you know we can get this that way now, but you, I think, me and you are on the same page in believing that that's not going to be a, a really heated training camp battle, and Remmers is going to kind of take that job right away once he gets on the field. Do you agree with that?
2: I, th- I think that you know this league is really tough, and it's really sink or swim. And um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I think Wheeler is a, is a, it's going to be tougher. To make the roster, even though they don't have a lot of depth there, I think it's just one of those types of scenarios. It's just it's it, it, that's the type of player he is, and and he, and he functioned for part of last year. But you can't if you have a quarterback that's not gonna gonna have any pocket movement in general. It's very very difficult to have a right tackle that's getting beaten consistently. And it's interesting you say because this could, there's
1: so many larger points that I could we could dive into now, but we'll save it for another podcast when we break down the roster. The first one is you know I put out my 53 man roster prediction on Twitter yesterday. Um, and Wheeler is not on it, and you know some people were surprised by that. And mentioning that in the comment, in the in, in my mentions, and I was just you know I, me and you are on the same page here. We're we're not convinced he's going to even make the roster. And you look at it, and if Wheeler makes the roster, there's a good chance Big George, uh, the George Asafa Ajay, the guy they drafted in the seventh round, is not going to make the roster unless they believe he could he could step in right away as a guard, or if they believe Wheeler can do that. There, I doubt they're going to keep two swing tackles. So you know it's not as unlikely. I'll just start by saying that, and then. The second point you mentioned. Uh, what was the second point you just mentioned there, uh, Nick? I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh,
2: so did I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, basically, it, it's it's tough if you're a right tackle you're getting beaten with with, oh, with if you have a right, quarterback right. that's not that physical on your
1: spot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of the sink or swim business of it. And there's some people who are excited about what you know what Wheeler showed from an effort standpoint, which I totally understand, especially coming from Eric Flowers. But you know, I think that in the end, you look at the tape we have on Wheeler and he has that one game where he started at left tackle in 2017 and week 17 and about, you know, I don't know, probably close to 15, 16 games are in that range of right tackle. And it just hasn't been the same player on the right side for whatever reason. So I'm not necessarily excited about him, but before we move on to some general questions I have about the offensive line that I wanted to touch in, not player specific, I did want to get your overall opinion and feel of Nate Solder going to the season. Obviously he's a veteran player getting up there in age, um, Do you think, Nick, that you know some of what we saw from an early season struggle point with Solder in pass production, were just kind of playing next to a rookie with Hernandez, getting used to a different offensive line scheme with Hal Hunter and a different offensive scheme in general? You know, going from Sarnecchia and that McDaniel scheme to to uh, Sarnecchia's offensive line coach to Hunter and Shermer, and can we expect to see? you know, the success that he had in the run game and even in pass production, carry over with Solder in 2019 or is he kind of is what he is uh, as far as his pass production goes.
2: I, I think, you know, everyone has their up their pluses and their minuses and, you know, his minuses got exposed, his, you know, his issues got exposed last year. And I think it's kind of simple. Like, you know, when he, when he vertical sets, when he goes back or even when he angled a vertical set, so he kicks slides right. and he's working to get to a spot, to intercept a, a an outside outside rusher who's kind of taking an outside arc he you know just really simply he opens his shoulders too early and against a lot of guys that's not a big deal especially at the lower level but against players and everyone is basically a speed to bull rusher in this league. It's unbelievable how that's just like 90% of the pass rushes yeah. that gets exposed because he's not, he's not big enough to hold that play strength at the point of attack in space. He's a guy that likes to strike and run guys off and he wants to jump them as early as he can. Um, so that's where I think you just in general, that's what you, you get. It's just a, it's just a weakness that, that he has and everyone's going to have their weaknesses across the board. Even the all pro tackles. I mean, you know, you look at guys that you look at. You know, Tyron Smith got exposed last year at times. You know, he was hurt, but everyone gets exposed. Um, so I, I think you're going to see more of the same. And I think he's a really, really solid player. I think that I, I, I don't retract that. The word "solid" implies that I'm grading him. I think he's a, you know, he's he's what you need on the left side from a veteran presence and from uh, you know ability at the second, at the back half of the season to be like a pretty good shutdown guy against a lot of very good players, including the you know that Chicago game really stood out to me the most. Um, you know, he played really well in a game that mattered. Um, and, uh, and you know, and and that was and against really good competition. So I'm okay with him there. I understand when, you know, people talk about, hey, in three to four years, you need someone else, and that gets into the tackle depth issue and bringing guys along mm-hmm. and player development. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, you're going to get a solid season from him for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, just one point
1: you mentioned a little bit earlier, Nick, that I thought was interesting that I didn't get to touch on was kind of, how this, you know, you look at, you say, okay, listen, like Wheeler, does he make sense in a, in a system with a quarterback like Manning who's not mobile, but then you look at kind of the Giants short-term versus long-term view, right? Nick, because once they, you know, once they move on from Eli, it's a different style of quarterback. Once they get Daniel Jones in. he is the athletic quarterback who can move the pocket and make plays outside of the pocket the giants hope, at least via his athleticism. So I think what we'll see is the developmental prospects on this offensive line and the people they try to bring in to develop both via the draft and free agency, um, not just in this offseason, because they didn't make too much movement there. Um, obviously, we've talked about Remmers as a stopgap, though, you know, Zeidler is going to be a three, four, five year player here, um, is going to change just based on that. So we'll look forward to that as well. Um, but I do have a few more general offensive line questions, Nick, before we touch on a quick OTA's recap and get to everybody's questions. So I want to start with this. In 2018, and we talked about this throughout the podcast, the Giants used predominantly an inside zone run scheme. Um, so first of all, and I know you touched on this with Zeitler, so you don't have to go back over. But how do Remmers and Zeitler fit that run blocking concept? And also, can we expect to see more, uh, you know, new concept newer concepts mixed in more frequently in 2019?
2: Um, yeah, I think uh, Remmers and Zeitler both both are totally fine. Inside zone component um, functions a little bit like a gap in terms of the double teams and what and and. It's just the footwork's a little different, and, and how the running back re- is reading it is different. But yeah, I think that that the particularly when they run it to the left side, so um, because the, the key blocks that you're looking to for the cutback on the left side are usually going to come from the center and the guard on the ace block on the back side, so that that fits oh, right with Zeidler and yeah, with Zeidler and Jalapeno. So that, that's kind of the key block. And, depending on you know, how you, there's all different ways you can skin the cat on that. But that's basically the most important thing. But what we saw too with the Giants that was really important is when the Giants ran it to the weak side. So if you're starting to play to the weak side, the back side is, is, the, is the close side of the formation, which the Giants like to run with the tight end and the right tackle. When those guys can hold their blocks as well, that totally it, it exposes the defense is the bottom line. Um, I've continually – the more I'm re-watching the Giants' offense – the the goal for Barkley a thousand percent should be to run uh, for, to get him in space and to run against uh, you know even boxes where the Giants can get can keep six in the box and block the backside and inside zone run and you give him a free lane to get north that should be a thousand percent the goal the number of times he rushes really should almost be thrown out the window you can get him as touches other ways but All right the way the Giants continuously the Giants loved and, and Dan Pizzuta had some great stats on this on his Twitter handle. Um, the Giants love to run out of 12 personnel, but not just 12 personnel, 12 personnel with seven men on the line. So uh, basically a tight end, either two tight ends to one side or one tight end on opposite sides. That creates eight gaps in the, that the defense has to account for. So within that thing, it's going to suck people closer to the line of scrimmage. It's just the way the game is played. I, don't, I think that's going to be the biggest change this year. I think that they're going to look at that tape like I did and go like, what the hell are we doing? Because we don't have the line to block it that way. And number two, Barkley is the best. I, w- I will say this. I think he's the, he has to be top three runner in space from a running back perspective. That's just, he's that good. He, he saw this, his ability to basically break touchdowns or you know, break away and touchdowns of 50 plus. That was, he was awesome. So I think you totally need to do that and expose that as much as you can. Um, and that means running with a six man line as much as you can as well. You can change the personnel up you know, in terms of packages, 12, 21, that, Go go mix that up, but I think that uh, that'll that'll be a big difference. I think I think Remmers will fit right in there.
1: Wait, let's back that up for a second, Nick, because you brought up something <laughs> thing there, and I wanted to touch further on that. And that's yeah. what you're talking about is the Giant. What Dan brought up or Dan Bizzuta brought up on Twitter or whatnot. Um, so we're talking about you the Giants are going to use more, you believe, of this 12 personnel with two with seven on the line, or you think that. When you put seven on the line, it makes it easier for the defense because they can stack the box more. where, where did we go? I, I kinda got lost a
2: bit there. Yeah, so on that one, sorry if I got I kinda No, it's all good. I just went with, <laughs> quite frankly. Yeah. If we if I went with the coach be too much there. But yeah, so I think they're gonna run less out of twelve personnel with two tight ends on line of scrimmage. Okay. Um, because I think with what they're gonna wanna do is light Box and I think the more Daniel Jones gets in the lineup, you're going to see or gets more reps. He, he did what they ran at Duke was was a lot of pre and post snap RPOs. That is right. going to a thousand percent unlock um, Barkley in different ways. I think and it's going to look, look a lot. I, I think the offense is going to look a little more like Joe Moorhead in 2000, whatever year that was when when Barkley had a killer year at Penn State, um, and that's just it's just the way offenses are moving it. And that's what that's really Jones is. you want, if you want to call it a strength, I don't know if it's maybe his number one trait, but it's, it, he runs that stuff very, very well. And yeah. if you give him a predefined read or, or one simple read to execute after the snap, he, he does that very, very well. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I've seen similar things when I've watched
1: Jones on, on at Duke and I'm, um, Definitely excited for that in, in the future, but, you know, for now, obviously it's not going to be the case, but I do want to dive into a few more things on the office line before we move on Nick. And one of the things is when the Giants used Will Hernandez to pull, I felt like good things happened in 2018. So my question is, they didn't do it a lot. Can we expect to see more of that in 2019? And if not, what would hold the Giants back from using, you know, more power concepts?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm not really sure. Um, well I, I agree with you but in terms of if they're gonna use it more yeah they didn't run they ran power like I, I didn't run the statistics but it's something like 10 to 12 percent max um, they ran duo a fair amount which is power without a puller um, but I think that in terms of pullers in terms of you know, we saw virtually no counter which uh, so many teams are running counter now that's something that you know I think could be there I think that in general, I'm still waiting to see there because I thought you would see some part of the last three games where they would add more to the run scheme, but they did not do that. So I'm not sure if they're okay with that. If you use Minnesota as an example, they use power a little bit more, but that was more, I think, because of Berger and and, and the way he was as a, their their, their guards. And kind of that was like his one thing he could do well at that point in his career, or he do very well. Um, So I'm not, I'm not really sure it's, it's kind of, Yeah. I I thought, I thought like you did, I thought you would see more of a multiple run scheme type of type of scenario, but I'm not sure of that anymore. um, Just because they haven't shown it and it's hard to predict what they're going to do unless if they at least show some openings to that. I mean, you know, even simple stuff like tight end wrap, tight end wrap locking, which is where the tight end is the puller and the lead and the lead player, um, you know, which is basically, it is a power scheme. Um, You know, I, I think that, you know, maybe Evan Ingram not the best at doing that and maybe they don't feel confident in their blocking tight ends to do that, but I thought they, when they ran it, the very, very few times they ran it in 2018 it was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, so anyway, looking for more stuff like that, but I kind of a wait and see mode for that question. And then kind of in that regard, Nick, one quick question
1: on this. Do you think that we could also see, and we've seen it so far a little bit in OTAs, I saw a few plays and I saw it written about from the Giants.com guys, obviously OTAs have been mostly closed so far to the media, but um can we see an expansion of the Giants' screen game? Because I know that's something that Shermer wants to do. I know it's something he did really well when he was named AP Assistant Coach of the Year with the Vikings for that 2017 offense. And do you think kind of with the additions they've made on the offensive line and kind of getting three new guys in the mix with Zeitler, Halpeo, and Rammers, we'll see an expansion of the screen game?
2: Uh, I think you definitely can. I don't think that's the big thing holding it back. Um, okay. What would you say is the big thing holding back the quarterback play? By far, by far. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, I just had to watch five games of Case Keenum um, for the scouting academy. Yeah, and that guy can fucking move. He can yeah. move, he can get to angles, he can, right? He understands how it the screen passes sound so simplistic, but they're not. It's, not, it's, a, he, it's really he, not. I completely agree with you there. Go on. It, it's so nuanced, and he was really good at it. By the way, I didn't realize this, but Case Keenum, like, can't, he didn't change his arm angles that well. So he's able to do these things and use his feet as a way to, to basically open the holes in the lanes to get the pass yeah. off. He did it very, very well. So, yeah, no, that's look, and this is what this is something that actually highlighted this in my Daniel Jones thread, but. Daniel Jones on wide receiver screens, if you watch Duke, and this is like where you watch like, you know, the 200 snap of a player and you're like, your notes are three pages long and you can barely read them. And you're just at that point. He, he wrote, he throws unbelievable wide receiver screens. He like leads the player on like 90% of the time of, of plays It was awesome to watch. And, so it's like kind of funny with that little detail for wide receiver screens, he's very good at doing that. So I think it's something that the Giants appreciate, but I just don't think you're getting that as much with the quarterback you currently have. And and yeah, it doesn't mean that they can't do it, but it means that on the double screens or the fake, you know, the fake one side, go to the other side type screen. I just don't think you're going to see that as much.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, it, what you talked about with Jones is interesting to me because I would say that that's definitely a positive trait I've noticed. And I think that's definitely something the Giants would, would view as a, it's a a box that has to be checked when they were looking to draft another quarterback um, for this, for this franchise and the next quarterback for this franchise. So I believe that they feel that Jones based on what they've seen from him, what they think he can get to will be an asset for them in the screen game. Um, And like you said, Nick, there are a lot of nuanced concepts to it and, that 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 are all on not all but you know that are, rely on the quarterback and his footwork and his feet and his movement and you know most of the people I've seen who are successful with change their arm angles. It's interesting you say Keenum wasn't really you know an <laughs> example of that and he was still successful with the screen game. And the screen game, by the way, Nick, because I know you're you're a little bit newer to the Giants, um, you know, than I am, obviously, but it's been an issue for Eli's whole career. This is not something that's been like an age issue for Eli. It's not like he was good at the screen game and got worse. This has been an issue forever. The giants really didn't use it much um, under Kevin Gilbride. And for most of his career, he played in that Gilbride run and shoot offense. They used, you know, he, you know, the Giants' screen game really hasn't been a big factor in the offense. In my opinion, at least since uh, Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator um, back in the days with Tiki Barber. So, you know, it's interesting you say that. Maybe we won't see an expansion of that screen game, uh, at least not until Daniel Jones gets into the lineup. Um, but one quick question finally on the offensive line before we wrap things up here with our extensive breakdown of the offensive line. Hopefully, people find this as interesting as we did because then we can do it for other positions. Um, but I wanted to know, Nick, or actually I got two more questions. Sorry, because one the last one's gonna be a fun one. But the last the last technical one. We've talked on this podcast, Nick, a lot, me and you, about the importance of adding competition. Um, the Giants, this offseason, didn't do all that much, but they did add uh, George Asapo Ajay to the mix at Tapo. They re-signed Spencer Pulley. James O'Hagan is an undrafted free agent signing they made, who I really like out of Buffalo. Was a really good player, with the exception of a size, um, undersized player. I'm intrigued by him. Do you think the Giants accomplish what we talked about, Nick, over and over on this podcast of adding competition or enough competition?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think on the on the back on the on the on the UDFA side, I think I think yes in terms of competition for the camp. Um, I'm I'm a little hesitant on on Big George. Um, I watched two games and it's just I wonder I wonder what how Hunter thinks because Hunter has it's Hunter's. What's the connection to to Kentucky's offensive line? They uh, they up. had um, Hunter's son works on the Kentucky staff, right? So the, they have they have their feelings, right? And they, yeah. they know what these players can do, and that's a big deal because I think that Big George has got to make a big big jump, right? Um, right. He's a he's a he's a big waistbender, and what I mean by waistbender is his lower body flexibility just is kind of in his stance. He, he, he bends at the waist, and it put him in just a massively disadvantaged position through basically most of last year, I think. I think most of the battles that he lost, most of the engagements that he lost, you could almost attribute to him going from his stance into his first strike, which was incredibly weak. His use of hands was very – I graded it as poor. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be good, but it means that it's, it's an area of development. And maybe, you know, the, basically a lot of that offensive line – I thought were kind of bending a lot of the ways. So maybe it was something that the coach was having him do. I'm not I didn't have, I didn't do enough of a Sky report, I don't have the access to to basically get all that type of background. But it was something to me where I think that he's gonna He's going to compete and hopefully make the team, but it's one of those things that I think Wheeler both have some clear weaknesses. Obviously they like him. That's why they picked him there. So that's important. So they see, and they think that they can improve those areas, which is going to be kind of cool to watch if that happens, because to be honest, I wrote my notes. I was like, I should stop watching this I'm watching this tape until he gets to Hunter. And if he changes his stance, then could, then you may have a different player because he definitely has the power. He doesn't have that. You know, he was able to put guys on the ground if he got if he got a hold of them. If he got a hold of them, like a lot of guys were kind of dead in the water. It was just a matter of if if that could happen. He was also very athletic with his feet, so he could he could get around and he climbed very very well. And that's why I thought you know initially because of his arm length, guys thought, hey, but he's going to bump inside and play guard. I don't think he at all has that profile of guard. Kind of almost similarly to um, you know, to to how Remmers doesn't shouldn't bump inside the play guard uh, for different reasons, but some but same but same type of concept. Uh, so I definitely think it's gonna be on the outside if he makes a team. Um, and I just and I hope that he does, and I, I hope that he does well and develops them it, because it'd be really cool because it'll, it'll be a big big change from from his college tape and uh from a fundamental perspective. So, one of those things where yeah, I, I think that to answer the question, I think that they I think that they on the very very tail of the of the roster they they, they got some really interesting guys. I think the Missouri get the Missouri kids can be really cool to break down. I have not done that yet. Um I think that overall, though they don't, I, I wish that they got caduced or somewhere, from someone in the third or fourth round. Yeah. Like you spoke to before. and I think that then you really would have checked that box. Yeah, if you, if you had. Done that, that was a so Yeah, and it, it's and you can't get everyone you want in the draft right. And the way the Giants clearly draft is they draft based upon best player. I like, mean, there's really no other way to, or to describe yep. it, in my opinion. Um, so. Uh, you know, look, they didn't get they didn't get that guy, and it's going to take just a little bit of time, maybe, or or the development comes from the guys that we spoke of, and they kind okay. of surprise, and that'd be great. Yep. Um, before we move past the offensive line, I
1: want to find one final question, Nick. Do you have any bold calls for this offensive line? It could be anything—a player call, a, a position, anything. Overall, anything you want.
2: Uh, I know. I Put you on the spot there. I'll well, give it's mine. Not- it. It's not even that. I mean, I, I don't. I guess the boldest, the boldest call would seem boring to all my bold calls would be boring because they're based in pure fundamental play. Um, yeah, no, but you don't know people like it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I know I, I, <laughs> the exactly. correct answer is no. I just my thing, my bigger bolder call. Um, can I go outside the offensive line to the tight end? Sure. CJ Conrad's is going to make the team. He's going to be a, have a big fucking impact. That kid is really good. And, it's and from, say that. Oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah, no. For, from a blocking and from a blocking athleticism and a just good enough uh, pass catcher, I think he's gonna. I think he's tight end too, and, and he's gonna be, and he's gonna spring some some big blocks for uh, for for Barkley in the run game.
1: It's real interesting you say that because we're definitely gonna touch more on these other position groups and other podcasts. But you know, when Conrad was signed by the Giants, Josh Edwards of Twenty Four Seven Sports, one of my good friends uh on our staff he covers the cleveland browns but more importantly he's the big time kentucky football reporter there um he he immediately texted me and said and 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 he knew by the way that we had drafted george the giants had drafted george asapo Ajay, and he had you know he had a few things to say there personally he thinks that he's only going to be a fit in the nfl as a guard but that's his opinion but as far as conrad immediate text said this guy is going to make your roster i guarantee it Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people who are excited about what Conrad can do. And I think if he didn't have that medical condition during the combine, Nick, and during his pre-draft process, I think he would have been drafted for sure, based on what I've seen in limited spots. And I'm happy that that is kind of confirmed by what you've seen on a more larger scale basis. And like you said, Nick, I mean, you and me see this team in a lot of the same ways. And one of the issues I know that I, I know I see, and I assume you see is that they really don't have the blocking need at the tight end position. Uh, at least they didn't have it in 2018 uh, to really make this offense work. So if, if that, that, that gets me really excited and we'll obviously talk more on that. But as far as my bold call goes, um, the offensive line, it's going to be two things. One, we mentioned already Chad Wheeler, not making this roster And then two, I think Hernandez is the breakout player this year. I really think it's all going to come together for him with the improvements they've made around him with Zeitler and Jalapio on the offensive line and Remmers and just kind of overall his progression, uh, you know, now a year removed from playing only at UTEP and and 16 games under his belt in the NFL. So that would be my bold call. Um, We're going to get to your questions in a second, but I do want to do a quick OTAs recap, and I will keep this brief, Nick, because, and for our listeners, because there's been three total OTAs practices so far. Only one has been open to the public and the media. Um, The Giants are keeping a lot of it in house during OTAs. There will be 10 total OTAs, Nick, before training camp. There will also be a three-day mandatory mini camp. In my personal opinion, Nick, these OTAs are not that important uh, when you look at what's going on in on in the practices as far as like who's playing well who's not because let's be honest there's no live hitting there's no pads guys is important to keep this in mind i think it's mostly kind of an install process get the get the scheme down run the plays the way they're supposed to be run against air but as far as like who's making big plays in otas i'm not going to give you guys that throughout this uh throughout the offseason with this we'll, we'll do that in training camp when it gets there um and we'll do that with the mandatory mini camp because things kind of ramp up the air but, I will say there are a few important takeaways, Nick, that we should touch on, and they're mostly depth chart takeaways, but we'll start um, with kind of the biggest one for me. I thought that DeAndre Baker would step in right away as kind of that cornerback too, uh, on the outside with the first-team defense alongside Janoris Jenkins, but it's actually been Sam Beal, and there's a lot of positive buzz kind of going around right now with Sam Beal. I know Bill's a guy you talked about in the past a good amount. You actually... Talked about him on our last podcast, Nick, as a potential starter, and looks like you were ahead of the game there because he's playing well. He's on that first-team defense now, and this is a player who, you know, a lot of people thought would be a second-round pick if he had entered this specific draft class, and I know you are you were one of those, Nick, um, and you've said that in the past. So that's definitely something interesting to take away, Nick. Do you think that uh, it, that battle will kind of rage on through training camp between Baker and Beal for that number two spot?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think what people have to realize is in this league – um, if Baker loses it, that's great. Like that, that's a really, really good thing. And that doesn't mean that. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he. That doesn't mean that he's bad. It doesn't mean that you wasted the pick and right. jumping to get him. Like that's that. By the way, because Jenkins, there's no offense. There's no way he's here a year from now. it's yeah. just it's just, the, it's just the way it goes. So you're gonna need two corners, and Beal basically just redshirted, right? Right. And if ba- if Baker ends up doing that for part of it, that is. A, by the way, that that kid is such a competitor. I would almost want that to happen because it would probably really piss him off. I love his attitude and just the way he plays. So it's like, yeah, you know, when, when these players come to camp, you kind of don't give that a lot of times, you don't give them kind of positions and, and everything. It's like everything has to be won. And, you know, that's great for Beal. And like you said, it's early. Um, and yeah, he's had a year of mental rep. So I, that, that, that doesn't that doesn't really surprise me. And it's going to be it's going to be a great battle. Yeah. And you look back last year, obviously in the first couple
1: of OTs, Will Hernandez wasn't the starting left guard and then he was inserted there. I don't think it's going to be that kind of situation there with Baker and Beal. I think they're going to be able to, that's going to be, it's not going to be a Baker who steps in right away as a start. It's going to be a competition the entire time. A few other interesting notes from OTAs, Nick, Um, I thought it was interesting that Chad Wheeler lined up as the first team starting right tackle instead of the first team starting left tackle. Obviously, Solder and Remmers are both out of OTAs. And Brian Mahalik, a kid who they signed from the Detroit Lions practice squad uh, last season, was the starting first team offense tackle. Mahalik is a guy who has crazy length. He's 6'9". He's converted defensive end. He played that position, uh, defensive end tackle, at Boston College. So we'll see what happens there. He's definitely a little bit of an intriguing prospect. I'm not sure. Have you had a chance to look at all at Mahalik? I'm sure there's not much to work with there, considering he converted from the defense side of the ball and probably has only a few snaps there. Have you had any chance to look at Mahalik,
2: Nick? No, yeah. no. but um, my, my guys that were my scouting academy guys that that basically break down the, the lines were, were kind of gave me the you know, they basically didn't think he was going to be able to function. Just because it's just it's very difficult changing the positions when he was changing them. Definitely an athlete, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. And again, we don't have access to the practice tape, so maybe he is showing those things. But until then, it's kind of like a, you know we hope or one can hope, but I I don't I don't I don't really see that playing out.
1: Yeah, me either, Nick. But I think more more so the interesting point there was that Wheeler wasn't playing the left tackle, which I really yeah. thought he would be. It really looks like the Giants are really trying to give Wheeler the every shot possible to compete for this right tackle position um and kind of maybe be a few they maybe they still see him as a future starter there. Um I know we don't. We've been pretty clear with that, Nick. Um but that 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 definitely caught my attention as well. And then as far as the rest of the what we've done so far through this briefly through these first three OTAs, I, I mean there's been some interesting stuff with the quarterbacks with Eli and Jones. I do think, you know, Eli's arm from what I've seen looks really good and really strong still. Um, and I think that that's not that's never really been the, the that hasn't totally been the issue with him at least not in twenty eighteen and twenty seventeen. So we'll see where that goes. Um, was there anything that caught your attention so far in this OTs that we haven't really touched on, Nick? Uh, no, 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 to be honest. Uh, no, no. Yeah, there hasn't been too much, guys. I mean, like you know, you're seeing the defense. It's interesting. You're seeing Golden mix in at outside line. You're seeing Carter mix in there. You're still seeing Martin mix in there. I think right now they're kind of using a rotation on that and that outside linebacker group. Um, and then as far as the inside linebackers go, you've seen Goodson and, uh, and you've seen Goodson and Ogletree really there, and a little bit of Tay Davis. Um, the safety is what you would expect, but they have missed the first day of OTAs with a flight issue. It was delayed, but he came in. and It's been him and Peppers back there as well. So nothing too crazy yet. We'll obviously dive deeper into OTAs as they move on. But for now, let's dive into your questions, and we'll start with the, the with a very interesting one, Nick, from a new listener – uh lou g he found our podcast uh last week so i want to feature him with the first question it's going to be an interesting one nick um because just just wait for it so lou asks: does the tape show certain specific parts of eli manning's game has age or is it all assumed or has there been a change that has nothing to do with age or can he be as good as ever still in 2019 so we'll start with
2: you nick got it got it yeah no i think that um you know, I think that the the tape last year by the second half of the year, um, when there was supposedly supposedly the big jump in the offensive line play, and that's where the Giants produced points. Um, you know, when I looked at the when I looked at the, the data alone to start there, that the quarterback play improved a little bit versus pressure. So Manning definitely played better in the second half, I think, versus pressure. You know, that basically I think that goes gets down to play speed and a little bit of understanding the offense is getting used to things, little wrinkles that the defense is gonna give you within the offense. So that's there. Um, but I do think, though, and I'm going to say this nicely, I think that, you know, that, that's your upside uh, with Manning. Now, where do I put that upside in terms of of, of, of a QB1? You know, it, to be honest, to be frank, um, again, it, it's somewhere in the bottom third quarterbacks for, for the league, uh, for, for the last half of the season, or the second half of the season last year. I mean, you know, the defense is – his Manning's ability after the snap to – to basically adjust and stay within and maximize um, structure is 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 not is not where it needs to be, um, and maybe maybe it takes a big jump. Maybe that second year, for whatever reason, for stuff that you know we don't have an idea about, uh, it gets a lot better. I think that Manning is obviously a very smart quarterback. Uh, I think it's one of those things though within a within executing you know half field reads in a quick and efficient manner. Um, Yeah, he's he's that that's 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 not really you know that that wasn't that wasn't there on tape last year. Even in the games where they produced more points than they did the first half of the season last year. I mean, um, the Titans game was not lost because of the weather. Um, they wanted to throw the ball that game. They had chances to throw that ball that game. It just was not, you know. they, were, they were, he really struggled and and so do I think that you know can he be as good as ever? Is he out? Is it done? No, no. I mean, the guy, the guy's is basically, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame quarterback who's at who's getting his traits exposed. Can that shift? Sure, you know. Can they can they get on a streak and win games? Absolutely. You can win with in this league, meaning you can win with guys that are not you know all pro players. Um, and so there, anything's possible in that regard. I just think that in, in general that. It's the, it's, the, it's the biggest position of weakness on the offense, um, on the offensive side of the ball, believe it or not, even more so uh, than, the, than parts of the offensive line. And when it improves, the team's going to take a huge jump. And I think that's kind of what the Giants think in a weird way by letting talent um, go on the receiver and the receiving court like they did this year, right? Like they effectively didn't upgrade the receiving group at all. It was really downgraded. And the quarterback room obviously is, is, incre- is, is uptick now because of, of drafting Jones. Uh, but it's one of those things where I think that when that when that change comes around, the offense the offense can click just like anything else. But it, it's it's gonna it, you know I can can he be as good as ever? Um, sure, but I don't I don't really think he will.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, Lou, and I really really happy you asked it because I think it allows us to kind of dive into where we see you know this offense moving in 2019 with Eli Manning as the named and entrenched starter, and you know where we see Eli going. Um, and I think just to answer your question, Lou, kind of in a part by part basis. You said, does the tape show certain specific parts of Eli's game that age? And we've talked about this a lot, and I know you're new to the podcast, so we'll just go back over it again, for me at least. And Nick just gave his breakdown. And obviously, Nick and me are are close but not fully there on Manning. I, I see a little more upside in Manning uh, and a little less blame, I guess, I would say, for the 2018 season than Nick does, but not, not too much more. I still think, you know, Nick has, you know, if everything clicks, he, he sees the Giants can win with a guy like Manning because obviously they've, you know, Invest that, you know, their resources in different ways where you can win with a quarterback who he believes, you know, could be a bottom third guy. I still think he can be kind of in that mid-range of quarterbacks in that, you know, maybe 15 to 20 range overall if we're doing a rankings thing. But you say there's specific parts of Eli's game that age. For me, the specific part of his game that age is just the way that he sees the field. And we've talked about this a lot in the past. Um I believe a lot of that is a factor of, of the change in when he went to Ben McAdoo's uh, offensive scheme. I kind of saw a change in Eli Manning and the way he reads the field. Uh, a lot of it now, like Nick has said, and we've said in the past, is a lot of pre-snap determination. So he'll already decide where he's going to go with the football based on what the defense is showing before the snap. And then when the defense kind of bluffs what they're showing and shifts into something different and takes away what Eli Manning thought would be there, it's kind of that what does he do from that point where he really starts to struggle uh, in my opinion? And that's, you know, a product of his lack of mobility, a product of, um, I guess that's kind of, that's kind of it a product of just kind of him locking onto what he sees and sometimes either going with it or not having, you know, a plan B. And a lot of the best quarterbacks in the NFL will have a plan B for those situations, or will be able to kind of anticipate the defense bluffing what they're showing. So for me, the biggest change I wouldn't say has to do with his age. I would say it just has to do with where he's at in his progression as a quarterback and where and how he sees the field right now. Can he be as good as ever? Um, You know, I don't think he's ever going to get back that 2011 range, uh, Lou, because if you look back, another issue with Eli Manning's game that wasn't there in 2011 was, and we saw this as a positive, or at least I saw this as a positive when watching Daniel Jones, one of his biggest positives he's willing to take a hit and he's willing to stand tall in the pocket Jones and deliver the football. And it st- and it remains pretty accurate despite him getting clobbered and despite him, you know, taking these big hits. And that's something we saw over and over from Manning in 2011, his career year. It's not something we saw as much in 2018 and 2017. It seems like his process now is to just take the sack and move on to the next play. Don't risk making an errant throw. Don't risk an interception, you know, don't try to force anything. Um, And that kind of takes away a little bit of what made Manning good. And obviously, you know, over the course of his career, he threw a lot more interceptions than he did during the 2018 season. You know, he only, he had a career, I believe career low interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, in 2018. And a lot of that is because of the changes he made in his game. I think personally, Lou, that change, has more negative than positive. I like the old style of Eli a little bit more, someone who's willing to take more of those chances into tight windows uh, and you know, where he might not be set and the hit is coming down on him. He's gonna have to take a big hit and get back up. So that's kind of where I stand on Eli and we obviously went over where Nick stands. So hopefully that answered your question. Um, Adam- well, you know, hey,
2: hey, hey, sorry, there's one more thing. Can I add real yeah, quick? The one thing, and he brings a good point with age um, because it's something that we haven't talked about as much here. Um, Rewatching uh, Manning's uh 576 throws the one thing that did stand out to me that did not stand out initially is he's he, when he goes he's he's more scattershot than he was in the past and that happens with quarterbacks as they get as they get older and I me mean by scattershot is he'll miss a throw for a reason that is just you know basically he'll misplace the throw yep. he's misplacing a higher amount of throws and that's not again we're not trying to dig at him but that's definitely something that is that has hurt with age and that the two guys who are just as old as he am basically 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 with Breeze and Brady. what they're doing is so unheard of to basically still have that accuracy at such a high age. So to answer directly your question, I think that that actually does touch on the age factor where it's where in his where in his earlier career when he was and is an unbelievable athlete, it, he was able to make great throws at a higher percentage of the, of the time. It's literally that simple. And so I do think that that'll account for you know maybe even like as high as a third of quote unquote the you know the poor throws or stuff that you can attribute to that because uh, it definitely was was very prevalent on the tape. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that, Nick, just before we move on because I saw some of that with Bill
1: Rivers too, honestly. But yep. where Rivers. The difference with Rivers is. He just has such a high level of anticipation and his ability to see the field that it doesn't matter a lot of the times because he's throwing
2: the ball with so much anticipation and that's what that kind makes up for it. What you say? It's, it's a great point. I mean, and I noticed the same thing with Rivers too. Yeah, you're looking at a guy who's missing throws that he didn't make before, not because it's he's a bad quarterback, but because yeah, his the way, especially it, it's not just throws down the field. It's it's mostly in the short. to right. It's mostly in the quick game. And it, it, that just happens to people. It just happens to athletes. And so, yeah, I, I think that, again, we're jaded in this age because we think of the guys like Brady and Breeze who are just – it's unheard of to do this. Where Breeze's statistics are getting better, basically, as he gets older, it's crazy. And so, yeah, most guys decline in that in that, in that realm. Yeah, and then just for the record, before we move past Lou, I will say
1: that I do – and I didn't mention it in my first breakdown, but now that Nick brings it up, I I have also seen a clear, definite um, – you know, a, Definite uh, example is not the right word, but Eli is definitely less accurate on throws that he used to be more accurate on. And like Nick said, in sometimes from a clean pocket, sometimes just scattershot in ways that you just wouldn't, you wouldn't see from Eli back early in his career. And again, like we said, it happens. It's happening with rivers, it's happening with a lot of these older quarterbacks. Um, but I will say in general on that, Nick, and I know me and you may disagree on this from what I've seen quarterback play across the NFL. Eli is still more accurate in my personal opinion from a clean pocket with his feet set, than a lot of quarterbacks. I don't think that's what makes you know. I put Eli in that maybe fifteen to twenty range if things break right for him this year. But I don't think the act, his ability to throw the football, is really what puts him there. I think more of his issue, for me at least, is what I talked about, which is kind of how he sees the field and not in and his uh, lack of a ability to to create any kind of positive play when when what he thinks is going to be there is not there. But we'll move on where there's going to be a lot of Eli talk, trust me, uh, in the coming months on this podcast. But Adam Johnson asks, hey, fellas, who do you guys think will be the X factor if the Giants are to be a good team on both sides of the ball to, to make them a playoff contender? So we'll start with you, Nick. Give us an offensive and defensive X factor,
2: and then I'll get mine. Um, I think the offensive side just has to be Barkley. Uh, because he's that good. I mean, he's a top, in my opinion, top three to five running back uh, who's going to get better. He's only only really scratching the surface of where he was last year, I think, uh, just, just because he's that he's that good. Um, on the defensive side, would have to – I'm split between a couple guys, but I would definitely throw Peppers there uh, just because of his, his, his potential running the – just being moved all over the backside of the formation, yeah, in, in what Betcher does from a blitzing end a blitzing and a, He has the potential to be the best blitzer on the team, the best, almost like, in a way, the best pass rusher, and the best cover guy, um, to be honest. And so that's going to be fun to watch.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with John Alpio on the offensive side of the ball, Nick, uh, and Adam, because I do believe that if he can really step his game up and really make that center position, turn that center position into a positive, which I ha- don't believe they had, um, really since that one decent year, you know, that one good year Weston Richburg had. Um, and it was really only one year he had where he was a good player for the Giants. Um, and I think that makes the whole offense run if they have that pivots, it, it, you know, improves. Um, so I'm going to give help. Cause that, cause for me, Nick, I think Barkley's there. I don't see him as, I mean, he's the X factor, sure. Like, you know, but I just think that's a given. So I'm just saying what will be the X factor and what changes them kind of, or catapults them something. Cause they had like, like, let's say it like this, Nick, Barkley was already amazing in 2018, you know, and they weren't a playoff team or a playoff contender. So for me, it would be Al And then on the defensive side of the ball, unfortunately, guys, I mean, I could give you somebody else if you wanted, but it's peppers as well for me. And Nick did the, an excellent job of breaking that down himself. But, you know, the way this defense is going to work, at least in my opinion, or the way Betcher wants this to work, and Nick, you can kind of touch on this if you think this is off, is that he's hoping that he gets to a point where he's generating pressure um, and it's not name; it's not names that are generating pressure for better. It's it's kind of just the everyone can kind of pressure at any point, um, with the exception of the boundary cornerbacks. Um, and would you agree with that, Nick?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that the it's going to look as close to Georgia slash anything in the Nick Saban line, where you know there's a lot of simulated pressures with guys with only rushing four, but any four can come. Right. And that's a the two uh, boundary guys for the most part. Yeah, and that's and that's a big thing for basically because I think that what's cool about Peppers and what makes him like we I've just broken out on Twitter a little bit, but he's different than Collins because. He's going to play that nickel back position to the field, or he's very comfortable playing the nickel back position to the field. So what we mean by that is the wide side of the field, the fifth defensive back for better system and most systems is that guy sets to the wide, to the wide side. From the wide side, if that guy's an effective blitzer, it changes the dynamic of the defense. And that was Grant Haley last year, and Haley was, you know, adequate in doing that. Um, and again, blitzing for defensive backs is not kind of natural for them, and, it, and Peppers is very good at it coming from don brown in michigan and and, and and being the viper there um so that background is very very cool and being able to do that can, can you can shift the menu around for for what you're doing on the uh on the back end coverage wise maybe more so or definitely more so than they did last year no doubt um Al, Al, alberto Madrano asks the best
1: free agent available you would add and why so i'll, I'll start I'll, I'll tackle this one nick and you can jump into it i think at this stage honestly the Giants have done a good job of using free agency to fill those gaps, obviously with the Remmer signing and through the others they've made. To me, at this point, more of what the Giants can do to improve this would be a, somebody who's not a free agent currently available, but somebody who will be released at some point um, prior to or during training camp. That's really where I think the Giants can find a good veteran. They tried to do it last year, and I thought they did a decent job with Mario Edwards, who you know made a bigger impact than people realized on a per-snap basis and was signed to a solid contract with the Saints uh this offseason uh they had a couple others like that and I think really the position I would be targeting Nick would be finding that you know that that in-line blocking tight end who could help this offense I know we're hoping CJ Conrad can be that guy but finding more competition there or a proven guy in that regard I think would help this team where do you see uh is there any free agent you currently have in mind Nick or or where would you go with that question
2: no no and um yeah no and not I don't have a great Sense of like the current guys, I think, from a need perspective, the thing that made no sense to me, and maybe because things are shifting and I and 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 the defense is going to shift in terms of what it's doing, but I can't believe they didn't sign Deion Buchanan. Uh, because I think the Buchanan
1: thing, Nick, was was an issue of hit the deal with Buchanan, at least from where the way I've read this situation, Nick, is that he had an offer from the Giants similar to the offer he got from the Bucks, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And he chose the Bucks because he wanted
2: to get back to work with Todd Bowles. Okay. Yeah, that one to me was a tough one to go because that would make – it, it would have been yeah. great for them. Yeah, and and then part of me thought then, well, maybe the money backer position isn't as important because they're not going to be running as many man blitzes. And I went down this whole rabbit hole and I came back to no, I think they, they absolutely need the fucking jackknife. Yeah. That could they can play the money back position. So then the question is how do they get there? And they're not there yet. And you know, um, Art Stapleton's been basically been, you know, the, the chatter that he had was that McLaurin, their free their undrafted free agent out of uh God, I'm losing my mind. I forget where he's at, but I've watched him on tape. Oh, he's out of Mississippi State. That he may jump down to the Uh, to the money back position, or at least that's what Petra is going to try. I just, I think that position needs someone who's very, who's at least a a potential starter, not someone who's a fringe, you know, guys maybe make the roster, maybe the Giants see differently. And that's where I'm, I'm actually most curious for that, um, for how that develops in in the, in the, in camp, actually in camp and who's going to be there and then what they're doing with that position. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that too, Nick, because I
1: did an article on this yesterday on 24-7 Sports, and I I'm not going to ask you, Nick, to dive into any of his take or anything yet because this is such a long shot for happening. But Josh Jones um, – I already forgot his name. Josh Jones, uh, that's terrible of me, um, is a player who was on the Green Bay Packers in 2017, former second-round pick of the Packers. The Packers. Um, Josh Jones – and for some reason I got him mixed up with Josh James for a second. But Josh Jones – is a player who's holding out of OTAs right now with Green Bay after they signed um, Adrian Amos to a big free agent contract and then used an early draft pick on Darnell Savage at the safety position. And he's a guy with 4.41 speed, 220. And, you know, I broke it down in the article, but based on his skill set and, you know, what he's shown at the collegiate level with NC State, and he was an excellent, excellent player with the Wolf Pack there. Um, I think he's really an interesting player that they can take a flyer on. And I, if I was Gettleman right now, I'd throw, I'd throw a feeler out there. See what you can get. See if you can get him for a sixth, seventh-round pick, even a fifth-round pick, which I doubt you'd have to pay. This is a guy who they might have to eventually release just based on the fact that you know he doesn't want to be there. The safety position is crowded, and he has seized no path to playing time. And if you can get a guy like him with his skill set in, he's a physical player big 220 441 speed was aggressive in tacking the box like at at, uh, with the nc state Wolfpack, was a big in the box player i think he's someone you could get in here and try at that money backer position so i think kind of you got to think outside the box at this point after losing out on buchanan there and obviously you know Connolly might play that role but maybe not in his rookie season giants fifth round pick so i think that's kind of where it gets interesting and we'll see if anything happens with that i doubt it will um but you never know um David Seidenfrau asks, do you think that Rod Smith's proven track record um, of being productive with limited
2: snaps gives him an edge on, uh, edge up for a spot on the roster? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think definitely in the past game, his production was not crazy because he wasn't asked to do it that often, but he was actually very good. Uh, he's got solid hands. and He's a pretty good athlete. He's, for his size, he's almost like more athletic than you would initially. you would You could kind of tell looking at him on tape. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And and, uh, and and maybe more so in the receiving game that like guys are kind of looking at just the overall production and going, hey, he's not really that productive. It's like, well, it's the Cowboys and right. like the times when he actually did give you watch the tape, the times he actually did catch the ball. He's he's pretty fluid. He's pretty instinctive. And he was able to break, break off some big plays. So I definitely think that uh, that that he can he can get a spot and actually can be kind of a, a good player for them. It's interesting you say that,
1: Nick, because I do think that the running back position is going to be a really, really interesting one for the Giants as far as the back end of that position. Because for starters, like you mentioned with Smith, is there a chance that, you know, based on his skill set, he could compete with Eli Penny to be a fullback style player? Could they try to convert him into that role that they kind of did with, you know, with Penny, a player who was a running back earlier in his career and is now a fullback for the Giants. So that's something that interests me because then are those two competing for one roster spot? If not... You know, you have a guy in the mix who I'm a huge fan of, Nick, and I know I'm now pretty close to being alone on this island, and that's Paul Perkins, who's missed the entire 2018 season with a shoulder injury. In 2017, he got injured against the Tampa Bay Bucks in like week three or week four, never recovered. But in the year before that, in 2016, when the Giants made the playoffs, he was the reason, you know, that running game came alive in the second half of the season a little bit. And he had a hundred-yard game against the Redskins. He creates a lot on his own in college at UCLA. Perkins, in his final season, uh, forced the most missed tackles of any running back and had the best um, uh, pro football focus. Kind of, this is according to pro football focus, but he had the best combination of forced missed tackles and yards after contact. And to me, at the running back position, Nick. I, I You know, that's the stat I look for, the ability to create on your own. Can you force missed tackles in space? Can you create yards after first getting contacted? So I think he's going to have a real shot to make this roster too. And you look at this at the running back position and there's, you know, not too many touches to go around. Pat Shermer all but said at OTAs, Barkley's going to have a similar if not bigger workload in 2019. And that means very rarely is he going to come off the field. So I think the running back position is super interesting. Rod Smith, like you said, like David asked, is he going to have a leg up? Sure, he's going to have a leg up. But I think there's a lot of competition at that running back position for, you know, only a few snaps here or there. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, Pat Chamberlain asks, I know you did, just did a 53-man roster project- projection, Dan, so this overlaps. But who are some of the guys you can see being surprise cuts at the end of training camp? So you can start this one if you want, Nick.
2: Uh <laughs> um, to be honest, I haven't looked at I haven't done that type of thing, and probably that's okay. I can dive into it. I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential
1: surprise cuts, Pat. I think we talked about Wheeler earlier as a potential surprise cut. I think that tight end, if Conrad is as good as me and Nick think he can be, and he shows it right away, I think somebody like Scott Simonson could be shown the door. Garrett Dickerson, Dickerson wouldn't be a surprise cut. Simonson would be a surprise cut after they resigned him. I wouldn't be shocked if they had were forced to make a decision there on Conrad or Simonson and they chose Conrad. Um, I wouldn't be forced, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a surprise cut. Um, where else? Uh, let's see. I mean, running back, like we said there, you know, it's going to be competition there. Um, other surprise cuts. I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from RJ McIntosh this, this offseason. I mean, he used their fifth round pick on him in the 2018 NFL draft. He couldn't even play, you know, he played, I believe somewhere. I think it was like, 30 or th- between, I saw he was either 13 or 33 snaps last year on the defense side of the ball. If he doesn't show much in camp, they're not going to, you know, keep him on scholarship when they just brought in guys like Chris Slayton and Olsen Pierre to play that three tech or five tech defensive end position. So that's another guy who I think could be a surprise cut. I don't think Lalette is going to go, that would surprise me. I know a lot of people think he's going to be cut for Tanny. I think that they, I don't think that this regime drafted Kyle Lalletta in the fourth round to just cut him after one year. It's just just my opinion of the situation. We'll see what happens there. I know, you know, Dave Gettleman wasn't a big fan of him being late to practice last year and his work ethic in that regard. He's obviously not, uh, hasn't been a participant in OTAs really, Laletta, because he's dealing with, he's recovering from a knee surgery. But those would kind of be my big surprise cuts for the Giants. Grant Haley might be another one. Um, you know, if the Giants feel like, Sam Beal, uh, if they feel like they're going to go with Beal, Baker, and Jenkins as their kind of nickel three guys, and one of them will play in the slot, and then they also kind of have Julian Love kind of targeted as a guy who can step into the slot. Haley kind of lose a little bit of value for this team. Obviously, he was a great player for them, but he's not somebody I'm sure I'm I'm sure so sure they view can play on the outside. And if they view him as only a slot only cornerback, it's going to be tough for him to make the roster. This cornerback position is very very crowded. So those would be kind of my. Four or five big surprise cuts there. Um, Let's move on to the last question for today, and it's from Ron Swanson on Twitter. I'm sure that's not his real name, but if so, that would be pretty awesome. Um, And he asks, has Corey Coleman shown any improvement? So obviously it's tough to say right now, and I'll let you touch on this in a second, Nick, because I want to hear your overall evaluation of Coleman and kind of where he can stand. But I'll start by saying this, and it's probably why Ron asked this question, Nick. Coleman open OTAs as the number three receiver over Latimer. And from the clips I've seen, I've seen Latimer catching a lot of passes from Alex Tanney. Um, so it looks like he's a little bit more buried on the depth chart than we expected he would be. Maybe that's something to do with him recovering from some kind of injury unreported, or maybe they're just propping up Coleman and giving him a chance. Cause we heard giants wide receivers coach Ty Tolbert earlier prior to the first full team OTA practice name drop Coleman. And you know, he didn't name drop anyone else. He was asked a lot of questions about Odell Beckham because that's the state of kind of the Giants beat reporters who are on the scene right now um, and get this access. But, you know, he name dropped Coleman as a player who listened. He said, Coleman came to this team last season in the middle of the season. He was signed to the practice squad after bouncing around. He had to learn the system. He wasn't really playing fast. And we saw Coleman really only made an impact Nick on those go routes on those nine routes. So now that he's playing, he could. the game may be slowed down for him. He knows the offensive scheme better can he make an impact? And I think that we might see that from Coleman this year. Where do you, where do you stand there, Nick?
2: Yeah, it's something where if it if it if it if it improves and he makes that type of jump, it would have to be a big diversion from the previous from last year's tape. Because yeah, I mean, I think I mean, he wasn't. He, he was. I wouldn't even grade him as adequate. I mean, he he really was not creating separation at, at multiple points in his route Sam, against different types of coverages. And I think that yeah, he had he had a couple of good catches. Um, but I don't, I don't really put much into the Latimer thing just because Latimer is the only bona fide X. Can Coleman do that? Maybe, but he doesn't really have a profile as much. Um, you know, I, 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 if, it, if the tape changes, I'll change, that, that type of thing. I just it, it didn't last year, and I was kind of surprised because I thought his speed alone would be enough to basically provide um, an option on deep routes, and I didn't really see that as much. But to be honest, the, the, the balls that he caught, Manning made excellent throws. And it was into tight, tight windows. Yeah. I'm thinking of a fade down the left side where it was just like it was a and the redskins. Game. Uh may have been. It may have been. It was, it was later in the season, so sure it could have been that like week 12 game. Um just just like again. So that, that doesn't mean that he's bad. It's just it's one of those things I'm I'm looking for more from that position. Um, and I think that I think that yeah, the uh who's the fifth rounder that they took who had all the drops? <laughs> in the, in, yeah, so I know he's had I know he's had trouble. Uh, but I would, I would, I wonder if I think that he could challenge for this. I think Slayton could, could challenge for that position more so than Coleman. And again, unless if the tape changes and in, in, in the preseason games, you know, Coleman shows, um, you know, the ability to separate. Uh, if, if that happens, that can, that certainly can. But right now, I would, I would, I would bet on Slayton. And let me ask you this, Nick, because I'm obviously a little uh, considerably higher on Coleman than you are.
1: Uh, just, I like his skills there. I mean, I'm a little bit jaded from, the player I saw at Baylor, who I really like coming out of the draft, um, and I just I still, I, I just have to hope there's still that player in him. So let me ask you this, Nick, because you a lot of what your criticism of him was, and it's completely valid, was based on his 2018 tape, right? So yeah. do you think that from what you've seen kind of with different progressions with different receivers or just from studying the NFL for, for the time period you have, can the difference, you know, can a major difference come from somebody who's playing faster, quote-unquote, in the sense that, He's not thinking about every single play. He has a much greater grasp and understanding of the concepts of each route and each play in the Giants' playbook. Is that some? Is that an issue where you know we haven't really seen uh, Coleman separate well on 2018 date because he wasn't sure of where he should be on the field, or is it an issue of you know, simple you know define routes that he just wasn't creating separation on?
2: Uh, it could. I'm recalling a play where Pat Shermer snapped out. Uh, it was an Eli Manning sack, and everyone jumped all over Eli. It was, I want to say, week 10. And it was a really cool three by one formation where the Giants ran what looked like three verticals and with three in breaking routes. If people can picture that. And Coleman was supposed to, because he was hot and the blitz was coming off of the same side of the receivers, uh, the same side as those three receivers, Coleman was supposed to break his route off short. And no one saw that. everyone thought that Eli was holding the ball and looked dumb in the pocket and then had that look on his face like he was about to get killed and got killed. And that was a really good example to your point, where, hey, Scherber snapped out. And, and, and in the post game, he, he said, What did he say? It was like a little hint. It was like, No, the, something was, was off. And if you look at the tape, yeah, what had to happen was, um, basically, Coleman had to break his deep in-breaking route into a very shallow in-breaking route, basically into a shallow cross. So, those type of adjustments do exist, and that could that could definitely that could definitely be a case. What I what I've kind of looked at this with for the scouting academy, and I think that the ability for quarter for wide receivers to stay in this league is their ability to separate via route running not via their talent to separate so what we're trying to say is that their natural quickness the guy's natural ability to get away from someone can be awesome at the beginning part of their career and awesome at the college level but that doesn't translate as they go to the next level and as from year kind of two on if they can't if they don't have the route if they they don't win via really good footwork and really good ability to sink their hips and really good ability to kind of to basically to run routes the correct way from the, from the basically the, the um, do do If we, people could think about it, the way Adam Thielen runs routes, because he's a solid athlete, but he's not really above average. You know, right. He's kind of middle of the road, but he's in he's the best route running league. And the guy's always open. Guess what? He's going to be open until he's 38. <laughs> he's just that type of guy. So that's what, that's where I would say he kind of lacks. Um And maybe that improves because, because, another year with Tolbert or whatever it is, you know, maybe the breakthrough cap is there. I I just don't think it's going to happen as much. I think that to, to the scheme part, it won't, it won't affect his ability to get open. It'll, it'll affect his ability to get on the field because the coaches don't trust him enough to do the things that I described. Cool.
1: All right, guys, that is all we have for today's show. Guys and girls, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, One last note, guys, we're still trying to build this podcast up. We're seeing significant growth and we're seeing new users, which is awesome. I've talked to a lot of you, in, uh, individually on Twitter, feel free to reach out to me or Nick on Twitter. If you have questions about the Giants, or if you just want to talk about the podcast or anything else, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier, NFL, D-A-N-S-E-H-N-E-I-E-R, uh, NFL. And you can find Nick at Manic 21 on Twitter. And that one's pretty much, much easier to spell. Another um, And other news, guys, you guys can do us the favor. If you do enjoy this podcast, please, please, please rate Subscribe and download it on iTunes. We can do that. We can move it up the algorithm, get it to more viewers, and eventually we can start to invest back in the podcast with more studio, with a better studio for each of us. Uh, you know, better equipment to get this done as we move forward. But thank you again for tuning in. I really appreciate the loyal loyal listeners from the start. We're seeing good growth, and we're also seeing interest still in the off season uh, during really a dead time of football, with the exception of these OTAs. So thanks again to everyone and. On that note, have a great Memorial Day weekend, and we'll speak to you soon.